Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. You know, I've never really been much of a fruit person. I got to be honest. Uh, When Corey sends me to the grocery store, I'm never really sure what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I, I try to compare fruit. Like, I don't know. I get the baggie out because that seems like what you're supposed to do with most of the things. But unless there's like worms crawling out of it, I don't know which is a good apple and which is a bad apple. Uh, you know, at my grocery store, it seems like they're only selling green bananas now, which I'm not sure when that started, but I thought that was bad, but evidently that's good. Evidently now they're all good except for black bananas. And then somebody told me the other day that you're actually just supposed to cook black bananas. I, I have no idea One of my favorite comedians is Jerry Seinfeld, and he talks about going to the grocery store and his struggle with cantaloupe. He says, you know, you pick up the cantaloupe and you roll it down the aisle, kind of like a bowling ball. Oh, see the way that leans left? It's not ready yet. I kind of feel like that when I go to the grocery store. I just never know what to do with fruit. My wife, Corey, is allergic to fruit, which is kind of weird, I guess, but we just don't eat a lot of fruit in our house, and so I'm never really sure. And so when we started talking about this series, Fruitology, I don't know if it was partly to help me or maybe partly to help you, but what we're really going to do this entire summer is look at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we draw that phrase, fruit of the Spirit, from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 says this, beginning in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, these verses are a part of a larger context where the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was a part of Asia Minor. It's really a part of what is modern-day Turkey. And in Galatians chapter 5, he was writing to them about this incredible tension about living by the Spirit of God or living by your flesh. And when we read that and when we're challenged with that idea, it really speaks to a lot of the struggles that many of us have on a daily basis. I want us to drop back just a few verses and begin reading in verse 16 and then pick up where we just read and then even grab one more verse. This is what it says in Galatians 5 beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." Now, there is this incredibly powerful imagery that the Apostle Paul is using here as he talks about crucifying your flesh. Now, that's not something that we talk about a lot. Usually when we talk about it, we talk about it in the context of church. 
But the Apostle Paul, in a much shorter time span since the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was wanting them to know that if you were really going to live a life that was productive in following Jesus Christ and allowing the Spirit of God to work in you, that you had to crucify, that you literally had to kill off those desires of your flesh. You couldn't just allow them to coexist inside of you because what would happen is the things of flesh would fight against the things of the spirit and the things of the spirit were constantly fighting against the things of the flesh. So you had to crucify, you had to kill it. In the, in the context in which he was writing, crucifixion was still a part of the justice system. And so these people that were hearing this letter being read to them there in the churches in Galatia, they would have understood that crucifixion was a very real thing. So while we may not see that today, For all of us, what we understand is that he's saying, you got to kill off those things of the flesh. But as we read through these, I want you to see this, these two forces pitted against one another, flesh and spirit. And some of you that are sitting here today, you can recognize that battle that's going on because it's a battle that takes place in your heart and in your life every single day. I think every one of us, if we're honest, we, we recognize those battles. Even if we haven't identified them that way, we haven't labeled them that way, we recognize that there are battles going on in our lives. Paul talked about later the things that I want to do, I can't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And so we recognize that there are some struggles and some battles that are taking place. But he's writing here about these two forces that are pitted against one another, flesh and spirit. And so we have to allow one of those to control our lives because we can't let both of them have a place in our heart and in our lives. And so what we read is that if we are controlled by our flesh, then the works of our flesh are things like sexual immorality, impurity, envy, drunkenness, jealousy, anger, and more. But on the flip side, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're probably going to hear that list a thousand more times during this summer. But I want us to look at two very important concepts out of this passage of Scripture before we jump into where we want to spend the bulk of our time today. And these two principles are going to drive us the entire summer. So every single week, we'll really build our our messages and, and the time that we spend together around these two concepts. The first of those is that I want you to notice the words that are used alongside the words flesh and spirit. When talking about the flesh, we're given a list of the work of the flesh, The original word for work here is ergon. It literally translates as work or acts or deeds that produce something. So think about your work life. Think about when you get up in the morning and you get in your car and you get on the interstate or you drive down the road and you go to your job and you do work. And at the end of the day, you go home so that you can get a paycheck. You are doing something. Well, that's the imagery here that Paul is using as he talks about the works of the flesh. It's the work or the acts or the deeds that you do to produce your paycheck, to produce these things. So that the jealousy and envy, the sexual immorality and impurity that is produced from your lives is because of the works of your lives, the work of the flesh in your heart that is is leading you and controlling you. Well, the, the converse of that is that Paul starts talking about the list of things that is produced by the fruit of the Spirit. The original word for fruit is karpos. It is translated as something that originates or comes from something. It's an effect or a result. So the difference here is that when Paul's talking about the flesh, he's talking about our work, what we do, what we produce. 
But when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about something that's produced in us. It's not our own effort. It is caused, it is affected by something else in our lives. And so when you and I are wrestling with what does this look like all summer long, I want you to remember that that flesh and the works of the flesh is what we do on our own, but the fruit of the Spirit is what is produced in us by God. And you'll understand this a little more fully as we move throughout the summer together over these next few weeks, But I want you to think about this image that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3, we've already seen that God created all that there is to be created. And he creates man and woman, and he puts them in the garden. And there in the garden, he has said, you can have anything that your eyes can see except for this one tree, this forbidden tree, this forbidden fruit that comes from the tree. But the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, and they eat of the fruit. And then God comes calling one day, and they hide from him. And then eventually they make themselves known, and they show themselves. And then God gives them a punishment for being deceived and for disobeying him by eating this forbidden fruit. And to Eve, he punishes her with the pain of childbirth. Well, for Adam, as God is punishing him, in the message translation, this is what it says in Genesis 3, 17. It says, you will be working in pain all your life long. And as I was reading this the other day, I was reminded that work for Adam was the punishment for his sin. And yet in the the words of the apostle Paul in Galatians chapter five, it is the works of our flesh that actually produce more sin. And so if we're not careful, if we're not led by the Spirit of God, then the works of our lives, when we are controlled by our flesh and our own desires and not by the Spirit of God, then we produce more and more sinful behavior and inward activities and thoughts. And so think about this all summer long. The works of the flesh is a result of what you do, but the fruit of the Spirit is the result of what God does in you. I'm going to say that again. The works of the flesh is a result of what you do, But the fruit of the Spirit is the result of what God does in you. Now, I want you to look at one other concept before we jump ahead for the remainder of our time. I want you to notice the tense of the word that the Apostle Paul uses when he talks about being led by the Spirit. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit, singular, not the fruits of the Spirit, which seems a little weird because there are nine things listed there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so why would it not be that it's the fruits of the Spirit instead of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, what I want you to see here is that while the works of the flesh produce a variety of sinful behaviors and actions and, and activities and thoughts... That when we are led by the Spirit of God and we are allowing the Spirit of God to work in us, there, is not, uh, there, there are not a lot of things that we're trying to produce with our lives. There's actually only one thing. According to the Apostle Paul, that one thing is righteousness. And maybe that's a word that you've heard. Maybe that's a word that you know, but maybe you're not even sure how to define it. So let me just simplify it for you. Righteousness for us and our purposes here today is really about Christ-likeness. And so when we are allowing the Spirit of God to lead and guide our lives, the the produce of our lives is Christ-likeness. It's righteousness. And so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is not nine things. It's nine parts of one thing, more and more reflecting the character and nature of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so while sinfulness can take on a variety of of different looks and and it can flesh itself out in a lot of different ways, no pun intended, 
The fruit singular of the Spirit produces one thing. More and more that I reflect the character and nature of Jesus Christ. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So what we want to do every single week is we want to take a look at one of these components of the fruit of the Spirit. And today, for the remainder of our time, I want us to look at this idea of love. Now, I'm sure the the safe assumption here is that the most famous passage of Scripture in all of the Bible related to love is John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved. For God so loved. For God so loved. The linchpin to the entire story of God and his relationship with humanity is that he loved you and he loved me enough that he actually sent Jesus. He sent his one and only son to come and to live on this earth and then eventually to be crucified on a cross, even though he was blameless and sinless, so that you and I could be saved and be reconciled back to God because he loved us. And so if you don't take anything away today other than that fact, I want you to know when you walk out of this place that God so loves you. It's the central idea. It's the main idea that God loved you enough to send Jesus to alter the entire landscape of the world His relationship with mankind through the person of Jesus is centered around the idea of love. And then when you and I are trying to figure out how do we live out this love thing, we go to, again, probably one of the most famous passages related to love. It's 1 Corinthians 13. I probably have heard this at every wedding I've been to in the last 10 years. It says this beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I feel inadequate. If this is what love looks like, And this is what I'm supposed to do. I feel like there is absolutely no way that I can accomplish that. That that if I'm supposed to say, hey, I love you, and every time I say I love you, it's unpacked in this way to say I'm always kind and always patient and never resentful and never boastful, and I don't care if I get my way, and I endure all things and bear all things and hope all things. Like if that's what love looks like, how am I supposed to even live that out? But remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. He said that you and I are supposed to crucify our fleshly desires. And some of the fleshly desires in my heart, and I'm assuming in your heart as well, are the opposite of what we just read here in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, I'm sometimes impatient. Sometimes I'm rude. Sometimes I am a little envious. Sometimes I'm a little jealous of things that other people have, even people that I care about. If something happens good in their life and I think, man, I, I wish that thing would happen in my life. I wish that I could do that. I wish that I could have that. Well, Paul's saying every time I feel some of those emotions, what I've got to do is I've got to crucify those things. I've got to actually kill those things off that I'm feeling because they don't represent the characteristic of love that I've received from God and that I am called to give to 
other people. And so I'm not supposed to produce love. God produces love as I crucify those things that do not reflect love. Let me put it in a little different context that maybe a lot of us could understand. Husbands, have you ever had to wait on your wife to get ready to leave the house? Now, I realize there are probably some couples in the room that maybe the husband's the one that takes a little longer. And I realize not everybody in the room is married, and I realize not everybody has the same context, but let's just assume that the majority of couples in the room, that the wife takes a little longer than the husband to get ready. Maybe that's a safe assumption, maybe it's not. But husbands, I want you to think about some possible scenarios as you're waiting on your wife to get ready. Maybe, you know, she's getting ready, you're already ready, and, and what if you approached her a little differently? Maybe, maybe one of these ways. What if instead of you, you know, honking the horn because you're already in the car or making sarcastic comments about how long you've been waiting, what if instead of when she finally comes down, you, you say something like, oh, wow, I thought the extra time would help you look a little better. And I don't recommend statements like that, by the way. But what if instead of that, what if you were a little more patient? What if you didn't assume that she would also get the kids ready? And so all you've got to do is get yourself ready, but you're assuming that she's going to get herself ready and the kids ready in the allotted time. What if you actually helped get the kids ready? What if you didn't go and wait in the car? What if you tried to see if there was anything else that you could help with? Maybe you just waited patiently, quietly. Which one of those two scenarios do you feel like your wife is going to feel more loved? I mean, when she comes downstairs, instead of some sarcastic comment, if you actually complimented the way that she looked, and instead of saying, oh, well, I can't believe I had to wait that long, what if you said something like, it was worth the wait? Which one of those do you feel like she would feel more loved? When you were patient and kind or impatient and rude? And every time I find myself sitting there waiting, every time you may find yourself sitting there waiting in a moment like that, when you want to feel impatient, when you want to feel rude, when you want to hold it against and go, man, every time we get ready, it takes you this long. When you want to bring back all of the mistakes of the past and all those times that it hasn't worked out, what if you crucified those things and said, that's what I want to say? That's what I want to feel in this moment? But God, I want you to to take, I want to give a different response here. What is produced out of you is love. As you crucify those things, the produce of your life is more loving. Maybe not everybody here is is married, so maybe that doesn't connect to everyone, but maybe on your job or in your school, maybe there's somebody that is so annoying. (laughs) I mean, you you don't want to get grouped up with this guy on a team project. You, You don't want him to sit next to you He's late. He never makes a deadline. Maybe he smells bad. Maybe he's just not anybody that you want to do life with in any way. What if instead of making rude comments every time he leaves the room, what if when everybody else makes the rude comments, what if instead of laughing, you defended him? What if when he actually met a deadline and did something well and did something right, what if you celebrated that? You, you kept no record of wrong, but you rejoiced with the truth. Which one of those two scenarios do you feel like your coworker or your classmate would feel more loved? Because remember, you are not working to do love. You are crucifying those things, removing those things that you probably naturally want to do, that your flesh wants to cry out, that your flesh wants to scream out, wants to produce with your lives. You, you crucify those works of your flesh 
And the more and more you put those things away, the more and more the Spirit of God is able to work in you and those people in your lives feel more loved as you produce love through the work of the Holy Spirit. John 13, 34 and 35 relates to us the words of Jesus Christ when he said this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Just as I have loved you, he said, you should love each other. How did he love us? Jesus Christ loved us by literally giving everything for you. I mean, he gave everything, including his very life for you. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, and Jesus so loved you that he gave everything for you. What are you willing to give up for love? I'm not talking about pushing back against the wisdom of your parents if there's a boy or a girl that you've got a crush on. I'm saying what that you don't want to give up those fleshly desires that you have, what are you willing to give up and push back from so that the produce of your life being led by the Spirit of God is love? It's a reflection of the love that you and I have received from Jesus Christ. You know, I was taught when I was a child that actions speak louder than words. And I think that one of the main reasons that the world is currently struggling with the idea of Christianity is that we use a lot of words to describe ourselves as Christ followers, but we don't use our actions very well. We don't actually live out the truth of love others as I have loved you. We don't love people as Jesus loved them. We just talk about him. And we talk about love, but we never really show love. You know, one time a a guy came up to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? If you could boil everything down that there is in the law, that there is in the Old Testament, like what's the one thing I should focus on? And Jesus said, love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love God and love other people. And you do so as a reflection of the love that you have received. And Jesus actually went so far in what we just read in John 13 as to say that people would know that we are his followers by the way that we love. Like, what if you didn't have words? What if you couldn't speak? What if you didn't have the ability to communicate verbally or even non-verbally other than the way that you cared for people, other than the way that you interacted with people? If they watched only your love, only your care, only your compassion for them, would they know that you're a Christ follower? What if that's all that they had? Because that's what Jesus said. He said that you will prove to the world that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Well, maybe it's hard. Maybe, maybe it's hard for you to think about 1 Corinthians 13 and go, yeah, but you know, patient and kind and always this and always that and bearing this and believing this and hoping this. That's difficult. So I thought today that I would kind of flip it on its head. This is not in the Bible. I'm not trying to add to Scripture or take away from Scripture. 
I understand the weight and the gravity of the Bible, but I, I thought it would be interesting for us to look at 1 Corinthians 13 in a little different light. And so everywhere that I could, I have flipped the words that are used. Instead of talking about love, I want to show you what non-love looks like. Instead of talking about what, what love is and what you and I should do and how maybe overwhelming it seems, I just want to talk about what non-love looks like for just a minute. So look at this. The opposite of 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Non-love is impatient and unkind. Non-love is envious and boastful. It is arrogant and rude. It always insists on its own way. It is irritable and resentful. It rejoices at the mistakes of others and loves lies and deception. Non-love gives up easily. It believes nothing. It is hopeless and it runs away when things get tough. Wow. That's, that's a challenging thought to me. Because as I read through some of these words, I'm confronted with the fact that sometimes that's the way that I act. I'm challenged by the idea that there are times in my relationship with my wife or my children or my friends or my family members that I'm not displaying love. I'm displaying what I called non-love. I don't even know what you want to call it, but as I read those words, I'm confronted with the idea that, man, sometimes I really miss the mark. Sometimes I am so unloving towards those that are closest to me because I, I hold records of their wrongs and I'm rude and irritable and resentful towards them. I'm not patient. I'm not kind. And so maybe when you hear those words, maybe, maybe you too feel what I felt and you go, wow, that's, that's heavy because I think that I do that sometimes. Maybe some of you, you have been the recipient of that kind of non-love, even from a spouse or a parent, or a child, or a family member, or a friend, or a coworker, and you recognize those traits because it's, it's what you've received. And so as I was thinking about all of the various things that we could do to kind of wrap our time up today, I was reminded of where we started in Galatians chapter 5. That the idea is that Paul told us that it's the works of the flesh that produce the kind of actions and behaviors like non-love. And the works of the flesh are things that you and I produce. It's when we try to do on our own what we can only do on our own, and so in those moments, we produce things that do not reflect the character and nature of Christ in any way. And instead, what Paul told us is that we should stop working to try to do those things and we should actually try to crucify those thoughts, crucify those behaviors, kill them away. Every time we're confronted with wanting to scream out, wanting to say something rude, wanting to behave in such a way, we would say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going I'm to put that away. I'm going to kill that off. I'm going to deny that even though it's what I want to do. And in return, the Spirit of God takes more ownership of our heart, more ownership of our lives, and we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit displayed in us. We begin to see the works of God at work in us. It's not what we do, it's what God is doing. And so we crucify it because remember, we don't do love, we are love. 
And we only are love because we have received love. We are just the reflection of God's love to other people. Because he loved us, we can love others. And so love isn't the work that you do. Love is the fruit of God's work in you. So today we recognize that it's not about what you and I get to do. It's not about what we can do. It's the idea that God is doing work in us and that's what makes the difference. And so today I want to have you just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we we kind of come to this conclusion where you take a moment just to allow God maybe to speak into your heart and your life. Maybe you can respond to something specific that was said or maybe that the Lord was saying to you as I was sharing today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, you know what? I, I don't know that I can fully love other people because I've never really received the love of God. For me, it's a salvation issue. I have never allowed him to forgive my sins and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you've never prayed this prayer. Maybe you have, but it was a long, long time ago, and you know you turned your back on him and walked as far away as you possibly could. Well, guess what? There's great news. He's right there. All you have to do is, not, is acknowledge your need for him, and he responds today. So if that's you, would you just lift your hand right there where you're at? We believe today that as soon as you acknowledge your need for Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, that a huge party breaks out in heaven. And so today we celebrate with heaven. Maybe today you would say, Jeremy, it's not a salvation issue for me, but I I wanna be a more loving person. I wanna crucify my own natural fleshly desires. I wanna crucify those things that I have a natural tendency to do, but they don't really reflect love and they don't express love to those around me. And so I wanna ask God to continue to work in my heart and work in my life to produce this fruit of the spirit of love. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Let's pray together today. God, we love you. And we thank you for the opportunity to come to this place and worship together, to hear from your word, to be challenged by your word, and to allow the Holy Spirit to take these words from scripture and to really challenge and change our hearts forever. God, I thank you today for every person that lifted their hand to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of their life. We believe that, God, you did that work in a moment, more than we could try to do in a lifetime. And so, God, we celebrate now for all of those who decided to follow you. And God, now I thank you for every hand that was uplifted, for those that wanna be a more loving person. God, we recognize that we can't do that on our own. And so God, I'm asking you to do that in all of us. Help us to continue to crucify our fleshes and our our passions and our own human desires. And God, as we do that, would the fruit of the spirit be displayed in us. God, would we be more and more spirit-led so that you would be glorified and we would more and more reflect the nature of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 